We are uh, this morning going to continue our Advent series. Um, it's called, titled As Far as the Curse is Found. Uh, we started in Genesis for two weeks, so I thought let's just cover all the G books. So we're in Galatians 4 this morning, and we're going to um, continue that. Jason started the, ser- the um, series in Genesis 3 where we see the fall and what happens in the fall and how even then God um, prophesies that one day, someday, there will be a seed that will come and crush the serpent's head. And then we last week saw how that family line through all the rest of the book of Genesis in chapter 50, uh, we saw how their evil and their corruption was both named and confessed. And then God's sovereignty says he's going to use that to bring about his will, which we know is fully going to be seen in the crucifixion to come. And so this morning... If we've, if we've tracked the, uh, the curse from its origins through kind of the way it even spreads through family, we're going to now look this morning at how it really is present in each of our hearts and what we can do with that and how Christmas can give us hope. Um, where we got the title for this morning actually is a different scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. I, and I've, we've preached on this before, but it says, Paul says this, the sting of death is sin. And, and that really is the curse, right? Death. Death is the curse. And so sin is a sting of the curse. But he says, and the power of sin is the law. And so this morning we're, gonna, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, just a few uh, verses, verses 1 to 11. And we're going to try to grasp how maybe we, like those in Galatia, can struggle with living by law and be enslaved to the law while we don't even realize it. You may know the story of what was going on in Galatians. Um, you know, oftentimes I'll hear myself even say or others like, man, if we could just get to be like the early church. Has anyone ever thought that? The pure early church. Well, here is Galatians. Uh, they are, a few, what, a decade out of Paul planting it? I'm not sure. And they have like almost completely abandoned the gospel. So maybe we don't always want the early church. But uh, what was happening was Paul's planted the church. He's left. And... Um, in comes a group of, of men who teach that Judaism, though it's not what it used to be, it sort of impact. you take Christianity and sort of overlay it with certain aspects of Judaism, and really that's what Paul meant. And so by adding these outward markers like circumcision and other things, then you will be truly the church. And so it led the Galatians to, though most of them were of Greek origin to kind of want to adopt circumcision and other markers to perfect themselves. And Paul doesn't just say, hey, let's back it up. He says, you are at risk of losing everything. And yet for us today, I think it's fair to say that we often do find ourselves drawn to outward markers to maybe feel right about ourselves. So that's what we're going to look at this morning where is our, wherein lies our propensity, and all of us have it, to define ourselves by law. So we're going to look at that this morning. Um, so let's read it together from Galatians 4. He's going to begin by sort of closing off a discussion he's already started in chapter 3. He's unpacking justification by faith. And then he gives um, examples from the Old Testament, and now in chapter 4, he's going to close that off. And I'm going to read it and sort of do some explaining along the way. So he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. What he's doing there is he's saying the Mosaic law for, for Israel, Israel's the child, was like a guardian that one day would be lifted, just like if you were an heir, and then one day, I say 18, you, you became the inheritor. That's what's happening with Israel. He's trying to explain the process, but then he personalizes it. In chapter, in verse 2, he says, but he was under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. That's the end of that first thought. Then in chapter, verse 3, he says, in the same way we also, and he's talking now about Jews, the Jewish religion, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now in verse nine, in verse 8, I'm losing my vision. He um, transitions really in a beautiful way to kind of including now the, the Greeks in the audience, those that weren't to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, and here's the question he's asking to all of us, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you for your gospel message that Paul, on one hand, so eloquently gives, but on another hand, Lord, it's very easy to be tripped up. And I pray your spirit would help us to see the beauty of what it means that your son came at Christmas as a baby and lived under law until his crucifixion, and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And by sending your spirit into the hearts of your people, we are now free from the law as being over us, Father. And I pray that you would help us understand that more fully. Amen. Um, one book about the Apostle Paul is titled, The Apostle Paul, The Heart Set Free. And Paul really lived in freedom. We just sang a, we just sang a song about freedom um, and how mercy speaks by Jesus' blood, right? And all her debts were cast on me. I can't find it. thought it would be really easy. Uh, and how we are now set free. We are now with Jesus. The church is set free. And that's what Paul goes through all these churches he plants and teaches. And then he's perplexed at how easily they are persuaded to turn back again to law. And what I want to do is make, is kind of, we need to take that language which feels very archaic and, and understand it in our present context. Here we are in the 21st century. What does that look like today? And um, what I want you to think about is this. There's only two sources of energy for your life. Now, if you want to disagree with this, and we, I would love to have a conversation later, unless someone's super bold and raises their hand right now. But this is what I think Paul presents especially from 1 Corinthians 15, the two driving forces you have are law-keeping or grace. Human beings are driven by our affections, and the two sources of power 
are going to be either law-keeping or the grace of Jesus. And what Paul's trying to do is, under, is help us to understand that the very things that pagans do before coming to Christianity, Christians can do in Christianity, and that is we can be imprisoned by our attempt at keeping law. What do I mean by keeping law? Um, one, of the, one of the things that makes law so obvious, and, and before we even dive into what it is, is the penalty. When you drive down the road and you see a speed limit, everyone that has a driver's license immediately understands what that means. If I go over that and a policeman catches me, I have a penalty. And so there's a fear. Yesterday, a policeman pulled out behind me, and I mean, I was afraid. Anyone, like, just, am I doing it right? I know my tag was expired in November. I meant to get it already done. It's December. You know, all the thoughts and my whole body just kind of, uh, and then he finally went around me, and I was like, <sighs> and so notice it wasn't law I was excited about. It was law keeping. I, it was the penalty that freaked me out. And so Paul is teaching us that, when, what he's telling the Galatians is that they have switched from this freedom Christ has given them back into a worthless method, whereas Christ is saying you are set free. And that's what we're going to really try to unpack this morning and how Christmas is our invitation to freshly come back to the cross. Yes, I know it's the birth of Jesus, but it represents his entire life and ministry and that we are set free. What would it look like to live as those who are free? So the first thing I want to talk about is just defining this idea of penalty. Uh, because, again, we need, to, we need to understand it. He's, he does a masterful job in chapter 4 of helping, I think, the Galatians begin to process, and, we, and in chapter 5 as well, where they're law-keeping. But let's look at some words that really have stood out to me as I've studied this this week. The first one is this. I've read this passage many, many times, and for some reason... I've always read the word slave. I hate to say this because it's a very triggering word in, our, in any context. But sort of like, oh, that makes sense, right? Paul says, I mean this. That as long as you are a child, you're no different from a slave. And so I've imagined a context where there's an estate and there's this person who's working alongside a slave. But this person is under the impression that one day, someday, they will be the inheritor of everything, right? Yet what Paul's doing there masterfully is he's, he's calling us to imagine, what do you think it feels like to be the slave? Like, what does it feel like if you know that everything you do is being observed? And if you mess up, something bad is coming to you. Think Joseph in, the, in Potiphar's house we talked about recently. You mess up, you're out, you're going to prison. You're a slave in the Roman context. You may have worked your way up into some kind of a, what looks like a cush job, but you always are aware you're not your own, and if you mess up, you could lose it all. And so that fear drives the slave. And then Paul says that we too are often driven by that fear, enslaved to our fear. Um, what is that fear? What is the law's threat to you? In the Old Testament, when you read the laws, what does it say often? It says this. If this happens to you, if you find this situation, you will be set out of the village. You will be exiled. You will be moved away. And that is a terrifying proposition for all of us, right? And so I'm wanting to press us all to, pr to think about this. What laws, what rules, what patterns have we inherited 
or that we have bought into in order to keep us in the village, right? Squarely in the, in the village. We're so afraid of banishment, right? So Paul talks about um, this tendency to devour one another, to bite and devour one another in chapter 5. And so as I was processing, what, would it, what, what does it look like to do things to stay in? And what happens if those rules are removed and you're not, you have no threat of being singled out? And so I wanted to talk about nakedness. <laughs> so if you want to, I'm sure I'll get an email. But when Adam and Eve sin, for the first time, they're just hanging out. They eat an apple and they go, wait, we look different. Like, we aren't the same. And they felt naked and they felt ashamed. And there is something about that that makes you go, time out. That's like one of the first things that happened when the fall came is you realize differences. And yet there are other occasions where um, that isn't a problem. And so I was, here's the story. I've told it before. So if it's a problem this morning, I've told this before. But when I was in Japan, I heard this story. I couldn't believe it. I still quite can't believe it. But, um, and by the way, if you visited Japan, you'll know you'll go into like, um, like the airport bathroom, the men's bathroom even, and there will be people working. And they're almost always female, female workers. So it's just this interesting cultural thing. Well, my, a, a team leader in Japan from another team is at one of the baths. Now, it was men only. He's with another pastor, a missionary. It's, it's completely normal. And at some point, they're in a conversation, and he needs to get a towel. He gets up and goes and gets the towel. He comes back, he sits down, and he sits down, and he goes, wait a minute. I just, it was a female attendant. I just got out of the bath, walked right up, spoke Japanese, got my towel, got right back in, and, he, and he's just now realizing what he had done. And the point is, the setting was such that that was the absolute Normal thing to do. He did nothing out of the ordinary for the world, the culture he was in. Again, I'm not saying that missionaries should do that. What I'm trying to get at is when you feel like this is normal and right and there's no penalty, you don't feel as exposed. But the moment you are afraid, like something can go viral, your information can go out, the moment fear happens, it starts to shape how we conduct our lives. And so the law, being under law, according to Paul, is beginning to measure ourselves by these boundary markers and trying to stay safe. That's exactly what's happening in Galatia, right? Um, if you're in Galatia and you're at this era, people are starting to say, hey, have you, been, have you been circumcised? Like, are you going to the festival? Are you doing this thing? They're beginning to lay the groundwork for who is the true worshiper, who's the true thing. And so it would create a culture of fear, right? Like, I'm a believer, but this, I mean, and I'm here, but that does, okay, I guess I'll do it. And it creates kind of this boundary line that can, can stifle freedom. And it's all based on the power of law, which is the power to be banished, right? We live in a culture now where everyone's afraid of being canceled, right? That's the thing. That's the risk. If you if you do something now online, you're afraid. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be canceled. I'll be banished. And so there, this law, the idea of law as being penalty, point two is there, the power behind that is this fear of, it, of it shaming and banishing us from our, from our culture. And we see that with the word um, elemental principles of this world. Paul says this in chapter 
4, verse 3. In the same way, we, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And I've told you this before, that that is a very rarely used Greek word. It's pronounced stoike. And it's used only twice in the New Testament. And its second use is in verse 9, where Paul says later in the verse, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And what he's saying is, again, there's two power sources. There's the gospel, there's grace, or there's law, which he's now using elementary principles, that this world has elements. And that word can kind of have two meanings that people debate. It's either the elements themselves, like the natural order, or it's even possibly the spiritual realm. But we all know that we can take an object, a thing, an idea, a person, and deify it with our own heart. Right? So the moment that I think this thing completes me, this idea completes me, this team, whatever it is, we call that idolatry. And he says... He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And so what we find is that the Galatians are struggling with something that we all struggle with. And that is this. We are setting up boundary markers by which we want to be defined. I mean, and I do it. We all do this. What are your, and, and the real tricky thing is to go, what are my boundary markers? And I, just to give you some examples, like things that I would say I've said and heard and thought, but... You know, what, how much money do I need to earn to be satisfied, right? If I have that number in my mind, that's going to become a boundary marker for me. The moment I realize going a different direction might lead to that not happening, what am I going to choose? That, right? So it's not just religious things. It's, it can be cultural things. It can be um, my, I, I think of things like my entertainment. What do I what level of entertainment? What's going to take me outside of where I want to be? And these are the things that will cause us to sort of back away from the freedom we have in Christ. So let me give us an example from the Bible of this that I think is very helpful. And it's chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul tells a story. Peter, who's called Cephas here, um, as you know, Peter is the apostle who, in Acts, I mean, he's like super, like, don't eat, you know, don't touch. And then in chapter 10 of Acts, Jesus shows him a vision of, like, all the illegal foods. And he says, take up and eat those foods. And he can't believe it. And it's where Peter is told Gentiles are included. And he, he just, it wasn't just like, hmm, that's a theologically interesting shift. Thank you, Jesus. It was like visceral, like he couldn't believe it. Well, I think he finally found the freedom, and he became aware that God is working in the Gentile church. In fact, in chapter 15, we have what's called the Jerusalem Council, where Paul and others have notified John and Peter and James, hey, what do we tell the Galatians, they, or the uh, Gentiles, they need to do? And Peter himself says, you know what, let's not shackle them with all the laws we ourselves haven't been able to keep. So he's understanding that. But apparently, there's this story that happens where Peter, and it's interesting, he and his wife actually are reported to have gone on a tour of these outlying churches, and he goes to Antioch. And when he shows up to Antioch, there's a, there are both Jews and Greeks, 
and they're all eating the local cuisine, and they're loving it. Just imagine showing up and kind of wearing what everyone's wearing and eating and enjoying the culture, and he's feeling the freedom. And it has to be an incredible high compared to his upbringing and, and how stifled he was. But then a group shows up, the circumcision party. And all of a sudden, Peter eats only with the Jews. There have been probably 50 to 80 movies with this scene. Here's the scene. Jock slash popular kid befriends the artists, the dancers, maybe at summertime, whatever. And now back at school, after that friendship is formed, it's lunchtime. And the scene is you get your tray and you walk into the room and you see the new crowd. Let's call them the nerds. And I don't mind. I'm a nerd. So I'm in the, there's the guys that are the artists, the dancers. The, and the guy's like, okay, that's where I want to be. But then he sees the popular crowds like, you know. And there's just that tension, right. And there's that moment in these 80 movies, because there's at least 80 of them, where, oh, no, the hero, this guy that's changed, our gal, cha goes over and sits down with the popular crowd. And you just feel your heart like, no. And you can feel that group going, it was too good to be true. Like for a moment, we were normal. And for a moment, like there was no blending and life had changed. And all of a sudden, now that we're back at school in our, in our village, it's over. Dang it. That's what I think is happening with Peter. And I think we all struggle with this. We want This gospel is so beautiful and so freeing. And it says we are all... You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. There's no hierarchy. Here we are. And it's like, okay, this is gorgeous. And it's like, wrong. It's not true. And Paul says, have I labored in vain? So where are we shackled? How do you figure that out? In chapter 5, I think some diagnostic questions we can ask are given in these deeds of the flesh. Because what Paul is essentially saying is, and this is what's really important. When we confess sin and we talk about sin, so often we think of the obvious things we know about, the things we struggle with. And he's talking to a group that are like oblivious to this. Like they don't even think they've done anything wrong. And so he's got to kind of come in the back door and here's how he does it. He says, let's start with deeds of the flesh. He doesn't even say the word sin. And he gives this list. And here it is. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. And the last word is orgies, but if you look that up in the Greek, it's just like just excessive food parties. Now what Paul is saying is these are hints now, he's not saying that's all they are. But these are hints that my flesh is being powered by law. Isn't that fascinating? That through some attempt at law keeping and trying to do some kind of an external faith, these are the things that show up. So I think the question we all have to ask is this. Are you filled with joy? Are you filled with love? Are you filled with the fruit of the Spirit? And when we are not, and let me tell you, for me, daily, 
I have to go back to this list or one like it and go, Lord, where am I measuring myself by outward boundary markers? What is it I'm not, why am I not resting in the freedom of the gospel? So how do you get set free? Let's look at, let's finish by looking at that question. If you can agree with me that the law is punitive, it it tells you, you know, you're going to get in trouble primarily by the way your culture treats you, okay, where's the freedom? And the freedom is, we see it in our verses here, verse 4, and this is why we are bringing this up at Christmas, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Listen to what happens. This son is born of a woman, born under law. Now remember, the law in the Ten Commandments the law and love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, the law is glorious. That's not the problem. It's, that, it's the tendency to try to be underneath it, to, to be measured by it. Well, somebody had to be. Someone had to come into the village, follow every rule, and, and survive. I picture Calvin Ball. Anyone read the Calvin and Hobbes books um, or cartoon strips? Like, if you're an athlete and you're like, okay, I'm an amazing athlete. Like, Jesus shows up and he's an amazing athlete. And Calvin's like throwing new rules out. That's the whole point of the Calvin ball. Like every, every time Hobbes was able to do something, Calvin threw a new wrinkle and a new thing. And then they just became this incredibly overwhelming, stifling law. And Jesus is like, I can keep that. I can keep that. I can keep that. And finally, the village is like, we have to kill you. <laughs> like this is not going to work. So Jesus is born under law, does everything and the village, that is the Pharisees and those that were in charge, had to crucify him. But they don't realize, and what Satan apparently doesn't understand, is the purpose of the cross is to redeem us who are also under the law, at least at the time. So that we might be adopted as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, and you are no longer a slave. You're free. You are free. I want to give two quick illustrations from the scripture of where I think we see that to help us understand what that looks like. First, David and Goliath. Who doesn't love the David and Goliath story? Um, The people of Israel, the, the army, are enslaved. As they see this giant walk out day after day in armor that they cannot penetrate. It's going to take an outsider who can come in and do something with a different type of weapon to take out the giant. And when it happens, the people realize they're weak. And they run and they take over the Philistines. Now, you go to seminary and a lot of people start to laugh and say, that, that story's taken out of context. Don't, you don't slay your giants. You know, that's usually the, what's your giant? And I've been in that camp for a long time. Like, it's not about... You, and it's not about the giants, it's about what Jesus has done. But then, what we're told is once David came in and through his particular set of skills and the power of God, took out Goliath, what did that do? That empowered the people to have freedom to go in and be who they were meant to be. So it is fair to ask, what is my giant? In other words, what thing... Is God, is what boundary line, whatever it is, what am I so terrified of that I don't 
believe the gospel and live out of the freedom I have in Jesus? What would it look like to do that? Can you think of a New Testament example where the, 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 the culture is like one way and then someone has to kind of like the tray has to go sit over here and break all the rules? And again, to me, this is, I think, the best illustration. I, I use it every third sermon, but it's John 13. And it's the place where here they are gathered for the Passover. They are at the, the, the disciples are at the apex of the movement. Jesus has come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna. The thing is set up for the takeover. In other gospel accounts, we know that James and John's mother is like, hey, when this all's done, can one be on this side of you and, and one on that side? And, and Jesus is like, yeah. I mean, it's not what you think, though. So I'm paraphrasing. So then in John 13, we get this kind of close-up where Jesus says, I'm going to do what it, what it feels like to be free. And so the setup is everybody's come up in their Sunday best, they're clean, and there's nobody there to do the ceremonial washing of feet. So who's the greatest? That's what's permeating the room. Like, who's the one? Hoping the door will pop open and the slave girl will walk in or something will rescue them from the tension. And, and you know the, the thoughts. Like, what would you think? I'm not doing this. If I stand up and do this, I'm always the foot washer. So I'm not doing it. So that's going around all their minds. And then Jesus stands up. And he starts to take off his robe. And he's got the towel. And he goes one by one and washes their feet. He broke every norm. And then he says at the end of that story, do you know why I did this? Because I enjoy it? No. I did it. A, he doesn't say it there, but he already said it, because you need washing. Jesus has to wash you. Jesus has to wash me. But B, and the primary thing he's trying to teach them this is what discipleship looks like. Is we don't protect our status, our boundaries. We go in and we say, I'm going to wash feet. That's what disciples do. And Jesus says, if you do this, you're my disciple. Has the gospel so penetrated my heart, your heart, that we might begin to even pray, Lord, show me. Show me the prisons I'm living in. Show me the, the self-imposed things that are keeping me from breaking out. I've got really great news for you. Jesus loves to rescue you from your prison. But I have some really hard news for you. It won't be pleasant. He says as much. Right? Take up your cross. Follow me. Paul in Romans 8, the greatest chapter on much of what we're talking about, provided we suffer. Because all of a sudden, as you move in that direction, people are going to get uncomfortable. Are we up for being disciples in an era the world has changed? This Christmas feels different. The world needs Jesus and the world needs followers of Jesus, true worshipers, who believe this gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your gospel message. Lord, we confess, like Galatia, it doesn't take long for our hearts to be infiltrated by culture, by false hopes and forms of religion that can sneak in. 
and take us away from the true meaning of your gospel. Lord, I know my own heart is often fearful and longing to be measured by things I do because those are controllable. Lord, I'm also <clears throat> afraid. I'm afraid of the fear of the uh, freedom sometimes, the freedom that would come. What would it look like to be free, to be free to follow you, to take your word and love others and move toward people and stand on the neck of evil wherever it is for your glory? But Holy Spirit, we can only do that if you will show us and teach us and open our eyes to have faith in our justification, your righteousness. Lord, your righteousness has been imputed to us, that we are now friends with God. Make that turn us into bold, loving, powerful followers for you in a dry and weary land. Amen.